Hello everybody, welcome to Wombat Radio. Today we're in Perth and we're speaking with Eve Newton-Johnson. Hello. Hi Eve. Hello, Hello. everybody. <laughs> um, would you like, before I ask you questions, would you like to just introduce yourself a little bit? Okay. <clears throat> um, my name is Eve. I'm 23 years old. Born and bred in Perth. Studied in Melbourne, now back in Perth, hanging out, doing some dancing. Cool. <laughs> and you got a show coming up. I do have a show coming up in the Perth Fringe Festival. The show is called The Art of Intimacy, and it's myself and another dancer, Sophia Natali. Um, and actually, we've been calling it a performance art piece rather than a dance work. Mm. And someone also mentioned live art, which I quite like as well. Mm. Yeah, I like to, I'm happy to be associated with performing, mm. um, but not with performance art. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Just because the connotations of, um, like, I don't know, cutting yourself or smashing glass or screaming or like the shock value era of performance art. Whereas somehow, like a performing artist has, just to cause some controversy, has <laughs> trained uh, okay. and has skills that they're bringing to the scene. and they're... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. But maybe that's just my hang-up, because I've trained. Um, <clears throat> what, are you, what are you busy with thinking about, or what is your body busy with doing? Or... Um, currently it's all about fringe, but also I want to cash in on the kind of momentum that fringe is going to bring and not lose that throughout the year. And so also what I've been not stressed out about, but I've had to shift my thinking coming out of uni that it seems like artists have to plan quite far in advance and no deadlines that are like six months away and applying for things that are ages away so I'm trying to get my head around that and plan this year in a way to be doing things and making things happen and I think that that is going to come off the back of fringe like hit the ground running Hmm. and then not stop how 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 do you uh how do you, I mean, it's a weird thing to think about thinking differently about the future. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> you somehow have to have desire then. Oh, for sure. Which I'm not questioning. I think I do have desire. Mm. But it's just more about looking for. Um, other opportunities rather than just the standard uh, heavily promoted and competitive ones I think Mm -hmm. yeah that's what I want this year to be about other opportunities Mm. Uh, and how do you look for those if they're not like how do you one, not get seduced by the ones that are yeah, yeah. in your face. Yeah. And then also look for the ones that are not 
coming to you? Well, I also think it's about being open to those kind of things, mm. e.g., um, like the other night I was out with my friends and someone mentioned that they knew the owner of this amazing venue and therefore, and so that clicks for me in my brain as an opportunity and so like we'll get in contact with him, maybe invite him to the show, then we start that conversation and so on and so forth, mm. if that makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. <clears throat> Opportunistic. Mm. <laughs> Definitely. Gotta always be open for it. And what about um, creatively? What are you busy with? Um, Not to draw a distinction. Yeah, yeah. I'm busy with this idea, not idea. It's not original, it's just a thing that exists, that in some art, e.g. a gallery or an installation, people are able to go in and, like, take in the art as they please, and if they don't like one piece, then they just move on, or if they need to think about it, then they can come back to it and they can do whatever they need to do to feel comfortable about being there. And traditional performances of dance don't offer that. Mm. And I think that that is a gap in the world. Mm. And so I'm interested in how, and maybe it's not called dance, but it's something with bodies moving mm. that exist in a space that activate a space that people can view as they please, I guess. And I'm interested how that is different from the thing Sydney Dance is doing at the moment at the the gallery. If not different in actuality, different in intention. Because possibly what I'm talking about, people wouldn't even know is going to occur. Mm. Like say, if you just go out to a club or a bar or something, and then there happens to also be this like live performance, Mm. then that is different to buying a ticket and rocking up at a gallery at a certain time, Mm. expecting to see a show regardless of where it's set or what kind of setting. That's cool. Yeah, I'd say that's what I'm creatively busy with. RN. How do you um, how do you think about what is a good space or a good context, mm. like a supportive context where it's still unexpected, but it's not uh, 
an imposition or an inconvenience mm. or a protest, actually, because it quite easily could be. <coughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I think maybe it has something to do with what people are already going to be there for. Mm. Uh, and I guess what the space is in itself. Mm. But also unsure because that's a good question. I guess um, in accord with dealing with that, mm. um, how it is not uh, an, an interrogation or a protest, but it is an offering, mm -hmm. um, is also, I'm interested how you think about what you can do in the show, like what you're going to perform and how it gets constructed and all of that do you choreograph the thing mm. and do you set it and is it to music do you have control of the music system and how do you pick your music I think I would never I would never say that I would choreograph and set something as a whole I don't know why that doesn't sit super well with me I also think in that kind of performance context it has to react and be able to change with the audience and with the setting otherwise what's the point of it being there mm. there's this kind of balance between the audience and performer I think in some contexts yes having control of the music system I think but also I would say that that has to fit in with the vibe of the place to begin with like if it was already at a club I wouldn't want everyone to like if you're at the other end of the bar and something's happening you might not even see it you might not even be aware that it's on and the change of music wouldn't mean anything to you other than the DJ has played another song. Mm. Mm. But then if it's outside, e.g. Trisha Brown's rooftop, where she did all those things on the rooftop in New York, I believe, I don't think that would call for music. Like a pumping system. <laughs> Over several blocks in Manhattan. This <laughs> yeah. is cool text I was reading and I forget, but I'll link it. Um, speaking about how when you're making something for yourself to be at, then you're very practical in your consideration of that thing because you're going to have to live with it. it, it Whereas if you're making something as some kind of abstracted professional and you're not going to have to deal with 
the ramifications of the thing, mm. then it becomes very much about aesthetics and about form and about mm. advancement. And it seems like it's kind of on this borderline where you're considering that you're going to go into the space where other people are that's already active, mm -hmm. actually, mm -hmm. and have a conversation with them and with the space rather than that everything was darkness and then there was light <laughs> <laughs> because of God choreographer Eve. <laughs> Yeah. I think that, that I'm okay with me being at that point right now, though. Mm. <clears throat> For sure. Because the darkness and light thing, I just feel like there's plenty of time for that. And I definitely think there's a time and a place for that. Mm. And it's important. Mm. But also I think there's space for the other thing. Also, I think it's more challenging to try and create something within something that already exists. Which in a way means that everything's always challenging because you're always making something within something else. <laughs> yeah. How do you make your decisions when you're making a show? For this show that's coming up next mm -hmm. week. Mm -hmm. What are you listening to to, to decide? Sometimes it's uh, the first thing that falls out of like our mouths, like instinct, that kind of first raw idea. And then we play with that. And then sometimes it works. And then sometimes we go home that night and we come back the next day and we say, we've had thoughts about it. We don't think it works. We think we just got caught up in the moment. Mm. And then we go from there. <clears throat> Other times there's a lot of uh, sitting and talking through, watching footage of what we've done and talking it through and trying to see it, how the audience is gonna see it. I think it varies depending on the decision that's being made. Mm. And there's something about getting caught up in the moment that is uh, facilitating to an intelligence beyond logic mm -hmm. or beyond rationale. And it reveals things to you that are not okay the rest of the time <laughs> to do or to think or to believe. That you can almost get away with saying, 
I had this crazy fucked up dream. And then you can say whatever happened, whatever <laughs> you did in it. But it's really no different than having a thought or an idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's nice. Getting caught up in the moment also means that you're amused. Totally. Totally <laughs> amused. <laughs> That's why we got to, like, rein it back sometimes and be like, is this just hilarious to us? Mm. <laughs> but I guess that's existing within a framework of team love as well. Mm. If you're in a team and there's enough love that you can get on board with each other <laughs> <laughs> to that extent. No questions asked. Yeah. And also because our brains have been so full of it, full of this idea and concept and everything, whatever comes out is in some way related to it. And maybe it's just accessing different layers of it that we can't see with our own rational thought. What's the concept, Dave? Of the show? The concept of the show is what's well, called the art of intimacy. Yeah, but sometimes the title's just a red herring. Nah, in this case, it's all about the title. Okay. We just were interested in the fact that when people talk about intimacy, it's often very physical and with a lover and so we tried to explore intimacy in different ways e.g. with a stranger or with yourself or with friends or family that kind of thing mm. Mm. how how what how did you explore the different ways? <laughs> uh, we did a lot of talking with a lot of different people. Mm. Questions and... Survey. Conversations. Yeah. A very, like, <laughs> informal survey. And did people love talking about intimacy? Yeah, they really... Um, it made them question what they thought intimacy was, I think. Wow, success already. Absolutely. Art success. <laughs> um, yeah, we did research, but also that just gave us exactly kind of what we were trying to avoid. Mm. So that wasn't a great source of inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> Because when something is expected, it's not inspiring. No, nah, not when you're trying to avoid it. So it's like you've named the show the thing that you're interested in, and then you're going to show the thing that you think the name should be referring to rather than what society is focused on. Mm. Mm. Yep. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Not that, that, not that we're saying it 
is what society should focus on. It's more that people forget that those other moments or experiences are intimate. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. So, the intimacy of mundanity, of the mundane, or yeah, or is it more just that somehow intimacy has been relegated to exclusive? Like it's almost almost been made exclusive in that. If you're in, say, a monogamous relationship, you should reserve your intimacy for mm, that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When actually it's available to anyone you want to connect yeah, with. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Human connection is another thing that we talked about. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and how, like, exactly like you say, intimacy does not have to be reserved or the one person in your life that you think is who you you should be intimate with because intimacy is physical and naked basically is what people think that it is well yeah emotionally I guess when I'm not intimate it's because it's some kind of self protectionism against getting uh, like empathetically exposed to that situation or person or drama or mm-hmm. and so it seems like intimacy is not safe uh, okay or you're exposed when you're intimate or something yeah but then sometimes I think intimacy can creep up on you super unexpectedly. Like if something happens in the street, something funny or unexpected, yeah. and you catch it, and then you catch a stranger's eye who also experienced that, that's super intimate, it's I reckon. beautiful, yeah, you're right. And you can't prepare for that or protect yourself from that because it's just happened. Well, you can protect yourself from it through um, being a grumpy old arsehole. <laughs> not meeting anyone's eye <laughs> not on the street. Yeah, exactly. And not even <laughs> noticing other things that are going on. Yeah. But being completely enclosed. I guess. Yeah. Somehow intimacy is about recognising and being recognised as well. That there's some yeah. Yeah. greeting habits of different communities. I've noticed when I'm walking along the street in Sydney, I try to meet people's eye, mm. and then not often down with it unless they're a bit older, then they're up for it. Um, I guess because they're not at work, so they're spending a lot of time alone. Mm-hmm. But in Queensland, you can't walk past someone on the footpath <laughs> or like Gold Coast or whatever without them wanting to say good day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then that also, I've also, or we have also been asking, like, does the concept of intimacy, is it only intimacy if it's shared? Does it have to involve mm. someone else? Or can it be... Is uh, 
like remembering something or a memory of yours intimate I think yes. I don't think intimacy has to be shared. And is that in a way where then intimacy can be a solo act or actually intimacy is is in that moment a universal act? What do you mean by universal act? I don't know, I just say these things. <laughs> <laughs> I hope no one questions. No, no, no. Um, what I mean, this is what I mean. Does solo intimacy become a spiritual experience rather than a connection with another sentient being? Does it become... Mm. No, I don't. I want to say no. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know how to justify that answer. Yeah, don't worry about it. But yeah, I want to say no to that. Okay. Can you expand a little bit more on this intimacy that requires no others? Yeah. Or what you've found about it or what you're doing with it in the show or how it's residing in your bodies and choreographic considerations and um, I, I also just don't want to give the show away <laughs> well we can air after the show if you want okay or we can we can not give it away and we can air before the show well there are just instances like you say of just mundane things mm like when you get home from being out and you're like taking off your makeup in front of a mirror I don't know for me that feels very intimate for some reason like it's it's almost as if you you know when those moments are happening where you feel like you're intruding if you're looking or if you're a part of it mm. I think that that's an intimate moment with yourself I think that having a memory and you, we could have a memory of exactly the same situation, but I could remember it so differently to how you remember it and focusing on what made it like intimate to me. And therefore I think that's intimate with myself. Mm. You don't need to write or justify it in anything that you're thinking. I'm, I'm just trying to think what you're thinking. Mm, definitely. Good, because I don't expect to be right or justified. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get to this, to settle on this for a, an investigation? Mm. There's people out there making work about global warming <laughs> and other such things. Yeah, of course. And you're 
that, and this is what you're interested in. How did it come to this? <laughs> <laughs> um, because as much as I've been saying that intimacy is also about your brain and your thoughts, I think it exists very much in the physical and therefore exploring it and investigating it through movement or dance or performance art or whatever we're calling it mm. uh, makes a lot of sense and I also think that you have to make things that you're interested in otherwise there's no point and whilst I am very much invested and interested in global warming I feel no real pull to make art about it. Mm. <laughs> but also this is uh, the result of many different, not many different, but another development for a different thing where we felt like things that were, questions that were being asked didn't quite fit in that work and so we kind of reserve them for a later thing. Mm. And that this work is what has come of those things. What was that work? Uh, it's a work called Sweet Surrender. <laughs> also working with Sophia Natali. And that work hasn't, we've had one development of that work and it's still, it hasn't died, it's gonna have a life. But yeah, this came of that in a way. Also, maybe me and Soph were just super deprived of human connection and we just wanted to explore it and hang out and deal with it. Hmm. Yeah, there's a permission there that you have to give yourself to uh, I don't know to to allow your life to change and focus on the thing that you're not getting that you need mm. and then to justify to yourself that you're allowed to make art about it definitely <laughs> definitely which is so ridiculous because <laughs> If it's happening to you, it's probably happening to many, many people. Yeah. Yeah. But that is sometimes hard to see. conversation is more intimate because we're lying on a crash mat. Yeah. But also, I think that the nature of what this is, is super intimate regardless of the setting. 
tell me more. Um, E.g. even if we were at a park or in a crowded place, it would still feel very intimate because of the focus and the intensity and the, like, uh, yeah, just whole nature of it. <laughs> I sometimes wonder if um, I already was a little bit intensely focused when I was in conversation and so I thought maybe I just put a recording device there <laughs> or if it's the other way around that through <coughs> entering the fourth year of Wombat Radio that um, I wonder if it started affecting the conversations that I have with people. I reckon. Do you think you've become, no, a better question is, what do you think you've, I was gonna ask, do you think you've become better at intimacy? <laughs> but I guess the real question is more, more, what have you learned about being in moments of intimacy? Mm. Or, or being available for them or, or allowing them or not allowing them? Because sometimes people are asking for it and you're not. Yeah, for sure. But then I would question whether that, I think they're asking for an intimate moment, but I think that the moment before that before it gets intimate, that is not. I don't know if that makes sense, but to answer your question. Well, I just tried to ask a question four times. <laughs> you're, you're welcome to try and answer at eight. <laughs> um, I think it's not so much becoming better at being available, it's more just actually being available because I think now that it's in my brain as a focus I am more aware of it and therefore more open to it maybe that means I am better at it or I'm just more welcoming to all forms of intimacy because it's also opened my eyes as to what intimacy is. Mm. And now, whilst I don't think that it counts if I'm trying to manufacture it and find it all the time, it just means that I'm noticing it more because I think it happens more than people think that it does. When it presents itself, which is more than people think it does. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you do with it? Oh, I think that's up to you. Mm. I don't think it necessarily has to have anything done with it. 
That's one of those answers that makes me realise that my question was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was a dumb question. Thanks. For your reassurance. You can answer if you want. Are you sure? Yeah, we just pause. <clears throat> back. And we back, and we back, and we back. Um, there are some people that I greatly admire who are dealing with I guess they term it choreography in the expanded sense mm -hmm. um, as a force in the world rather than as a toolkit for sequencing movement on mm -hmm. bodies mm -hmm. and then putting that movement in front of people mm -hmm. um, and I wonder if a little bit what you think of the idea that your f focus on intimacy in the expanded sense mm -hmm. is one validating it, validating its need and usefulness and, and existence, um, but also if it's if it makes it a force in the world rather than, or, or if you're dealing with it as a force in the world rather than something that you would like to present and represent. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I reckon that option. <laughs> Can you talk about that a bit? How it's, how the thing that you're making is not necessarily so that people come and they see a representation of mm. what and how, mm -hmm. but so that through you dealing with it and then sharing that. I mean, it becomes a force for, like intimacy becomes a force in the world or something. Yes, I love that. <laughs> but I think it sounds to me like that's what you're doing. <clears throat> and I just want to hear more about how, what you're thinking about it or if I just put words in your mouth and that's not what you're doing. No, you haven't. <laughs> I think unknowingly that's what we're dealing with. Yeah. <clears throat> Definitely. Because actually, very consciously, we have tried to avoid, exactly like you say, just presenting intimacy to the audience and presenting intimate like stereotypical intimate moments and more gone for, for want of such a better word, <laughs> like the feeling of it or the gist of it or the kind of like vague concept of it. Uh, because that is also a fact, a factor of intimacy. Sometimes you can't quite put your finger on why something is so intimate. Mm. And I think that is what we've tried to access mm. through movement and with our bodies and sound and all the other stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's a force. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. Because also I think intimacy in all forms is crucial in our lives. Yeah, but also I think it loses its uh, force and importance if it is forced. It's a force that can't be forced. which then kind of <clears throat> reinforces the fact that we are not trying to present and represent it on stage because that would be us trying to force authentic intimate moments. Like if they happen in the moment and in the space unexpectedly, then that's amazing. But we are not trying to manufacture them. yourself or convince yourself or like why do you feel okay about focusing on intimacy <laughs> and dealing with it in a show with your friend um because I naturally um, shy away from intimacy mm. and so it was a surprise to us I can't speak for Soph but I think she feels a bit the same um, that we wanted to focus on this because it's something that I used to maybe it will change now but used to um, not be super open to in all forms, not just physical intimacy, but like all the emotional and strangers and all that kind of shit. <laughs> mm. Yep. How do you go from 
<laughs> How do you go from pushing something away to pulling something so close that it ends up being the lens that you see the world through for a few <laughs> months while you make the show? Um, but maybe that's a sign of how in, how I actually was craving it a bit mm. and just needed, as you say, permission to be okay with it. Somehow dealing with it, making work out of it is a, a process of giving you yeah, permission. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Definitely. Hmm. What made you think that you were not good at it or not welcoming of it? Um, Did someone just give you a hard time about it? Or? No, no. Uh, I think it's that protecting thing. Just wanted to protect myself. Mm. Yeah. Which is uh, annoying. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for sure, I still, there are people in my life that I love and, and are not at all intimate with. Yeah. Because it would expose me. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. Yep. And I read somewhere that intimacy, real intimacy, is all about just wanting to be understood by someone mm. and I think once you open yourself up to that there's also a chance of not being understood by someone that you thought would understand you or that you really wanted to understand you and that's a very scary concept yeah especially if you don't subscribe to the view that it doesn't mean that something's wrong mm. if it doesn't work doesn't mean something's wrong with them or something's wrong with you or... Yep. Yeah. Maybe one of the... Um one of the strengths of your process is fostering intimacy with your team mm. and it's like they're on the journey with you to sweat and cry and, <laughs> <laughs> and feel the joy <coughs> yeah absolutely definitely but also it's been one of the great joys of making this work with Sophia that we really do uh, understand each other and are on the same page in most aspects of our life and thinking and therefore there is super real authentic intimacy going on 
which makes it easier to try and sort all these thoughts out mm. thoughts and ideas and concepts it seems like the antithesis of intimacy is politeness that being polite is somehow distancing mm. Mm. I mean, of course, being rude is not so helpful either. I think it's more about, like... Um, oh, what was I going to say? Like, I think you can still be polite and be intimate, but it's something about really not wanting to be intimate oh, I don't know I lost my train of thought <laughs> yeah, I, know what you mean. I just think about when I'm staying like when I'm being billeted or I'm staying at people's houses or whatever actually the intimate thing to do is to get up all in the business and mm. um, find out where things go and you unpack the dishwasher and like Engage. Mm -hmm. The polite thing to do is try and stay out of the way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But then also the considerate thing to do is to work out if they are ready for meeting your level of intimacy <laughs> or not. <laughs> Some people would just rather be polite. Which is fine. Yeah, which is absolutely warranted. Because, um, yeah, like presenting and offering and requesting an intimate connection is also like assuming that they should take investment in you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about outside of just outside of the work that you're making and yeah. your head's full of mm. what's like an overarching or a bigger macro things that you think or notice in the world mm. or I guess people would say practice talk to me about your practice um, I think an overarching thing is being aware of the fact that like I would say that I want to make work about people and the world that we live in which mm -hmm. I think is pretty standard but it's the point of culture yeah but the art world is almost a world within itself 
and am I just making work about that world and therefore only for that world or am I making am I able to make work about the broader general world Mm. my stance is that there's no such thing as a general world Mm. that there's many many worlds that overlap and I guess maybe a shortcut is to live in many worlds Mm. to then be able to speak from those worlds but then I think like I'm literate I can write and I can read and um, but that doesn't mean that I know how to construct a, a novel or a short story that's going to really speak to people. Mm. So maybe something about being literate in physicality and shared live performing experience or ritual or something like that, being literate in how to construct those things necessitates being in a different world to people who uh, can engage but are not necessarily literate in the construction of Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (coughs) and that's about as far as I get and then I just excuse myself from the responsibility (laughs) (laughs) Mm. because I think this has a lot to do with time as well I think You, you need to be so deeply of your current time to be able to do those things but then are you like a, an anchor on the project or something or are you a, a comedian or a uh, what do they call those people that run talk shows anyway like are you one of those people where actually the whole world is just f- feeding through you so that you can be current and present and mm. Mm. Um, reflective or are you having a vision of some potential other and then dealing with that in order to manifest it and then offering it up as an alternative and then you need to be like you said before years ahead Mm. because by the time you get to present it and share it with people then might it might not be too old and stale yeah 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 might be giving myself too much credit but (laughs) but (laughs) I like to to think about some not all but some people who are acting as artists are somehow like cultural agents or something or agents of cultural exploration Mm. in a world when not everybody has time for that and nobody got time (laughs) to explore culture (laughs) and subculture Um, so not everybody is going to train up to be an an astrophysicist or something but the work that they do gets filtered down to the rest of everybody else Mm. or Mm -hmm. across or through Mm -hmm. and I like to think that maybe it's possible that 
I may <laughs> think something or make something that facilitates somebody else to think something uh, that gives us options in ways to live together that we haven't already come up with. Yep, I'm in full agreement with that. Full agreement. Because <laughs> we kind of we, we're kind of stuck on capitalism at the moment. Mm. It's like the only, it's the surviving option, mm-hmm. and someone's going to have to come up with an alternative, and it's not going to be the people who are busy with. <laughs> you think it's going to be art? Um, I think it only. I think it can only ever be art. Mm because art, and I'll make a separation between art and entertainment, Mm -hmm. I think art somehow has to be almost not of its time. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King Jr. has one of his speeches where he speaks about being maladjusted to the world and that that is a source of reassurance for him because he sees injustice in the world and if he was well adjusted to it yeah 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 then that would be a failing mm-hmm. i don't know how to do any of those things um apart from the like <laughs> the gandhi version of just like be the change you want to see <laughs> like if everybody else is disengaging engage and if if everybody else is busy with what you think is the wrong thing then be busy with what you think is the right thing or the most urgent or important thing but then do you think that this kind of change from art and a shift in the way that the world works and operates Mm -hmm. do you think that that can only be successful if there is uh, like an audience or people willing to other people willing to accept that or do you think it can come within people who are doing it do you think that there has to be someone on the receiving end for it to be successful I think um, a mozzie doesn't even have to bite you to keep you awake all night mm. like just that little <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh, but then I also think that the person trying to get to sleep is in a very sensitive, delicate, fragile, open, effective, uh, uh, able to be affected space yeah. and sign time and it becomes intimate between them too, <laughs> the mozzie and the potential sleeper. So yes, but then I also think that there is no uh, transmitter and there is no receiver, that there are um, complex social structures in how to be in the world. And if, if you wonder about it and don't change it, then at least you've wondered about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you wonder about it and then tweak it, then it at least you've tweaked it like and that there are people at every level I mean less and less so because there is um, bureaucratic systems in place and then there are computational systems in place and they're all running off hard logic rather than empathy and connection and person to person 
interaction and understanding. But I remember being very fearful of the ocean. I grew up in Darwin, so it's only just full of things that'll eat you. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think the reason I was so fearful of it is because there's no negotiating with it. Uh-huh. Somehow you can negotiate with a person or plea or rip appeal or something but and I think that's the power of um, even if the only person who knows about what you're doing is your bus driver because when you are fumbling for your money they see that there's a flyer in your bag or something mm. and then or there's no one else in the bus and you tell them about a show that you're doing or working on or you have the conversation that we're having yeah. with them and they don't come to the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that bus driver knows that there's someone that works at the chemist and there's someone that works at the RTA and there's someone that's working on making a dance show. Yeah, totally. Like it becomes part of social fabric. Yeah, yeah. And then it becomes an option. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a, a text called From Dictatorship to Democracy. It was written by a dude that now lives in the States. I think he's still alive. But he, um, it's like a 12-step process. And one of the steps is about uh, how to take the violence out of protest mm. where the government's real cray. Mm-hmm. And part of it is not to put the strongest, most aggressive young man on the front of the protest. It's to put the most humanised people, which is like old grandmas, mm, mm. holding flowers and singing hymns and whatever, <laughs> um, yeah. at the front of the protest. Because even if the aggressive young men who are acting on behalf of the state then are violent towards these old women, those old women are friends with those young police officers grandmothers yeah yeah and then then the social fabric has to question a state that would act out against yeah this thing that they think is immoral um, but I don't think that the current society um, is questioning that yet if we're if we are calling art the old grandma of the world (laughs) and like the state is the government cutting our funding let's say yeah yeah i don't think that society is questioning that i think that they're fine with it atm in the current like political neo-capitalist society neoliberalism neo-capitalist something yeah. like that I don't think they are mm. <clears throat> I think that that will change but I think currently it's not I think it can be a force of art to humanise mm. And what better way to do that than to focus on intimacy? Hello. (laughs) (laughs) And just because so many actions are in uh, are transactional, 
Ah, uh, sorry, interactions. So many interactions are transactional. Which is, can be the opposite of intimacy. Like because there's things to achieve. Yeah, right. The there's like an agenda. There's an, yeah, there's an agenda. <clears throat> um, and intimacy can be an agenda, for sure. Something we need, we're starved of, and then we get. Mm. You give and you get. But some t- somehow, yeah, it's super intimate to engage and interact without agenda. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Definitely. Which is like the power of the usefulness of art or the, the, the purposelessness of our efforts or the ephemeral nature of how we spend our time. I mean, I feel that I'm doing more good in the world, more effectively and impactfully when I train in dance and when I am choreographing something than when I pray. Mm -hmm. That's why I don't pray. (laughs) But I just remember like even like the one of the um, mass shootings in America and Obama was like, why are we all praying still? <laughs> Fuckers. <laughs> it's obviously not what we need to do. We just need everyone to dance. <laughs> oh, for sure. There's um, there's this idea of noble pursuits, and then there's an idea of like economically intelligent investment of your yep. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, they're at odds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ATM. They're mutually exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is so unfortunate. It's so unfortunate. Do you feel like you're engaged in a noble pursuit? Yeah. (laughs) And I love it. (laughs) Absolutely. I have a secret kind of, like... um, Yeah, I guess exactly that. I secretly hell think that I'm on this noble path. (laughs) And it's not about being better than anyone else in any way, but I have great pride in what I'm doing.
hari uh, remember that <laughs> uh, by having conversations like this mm. I think and and starting conversations like this with your bus driver mm-hmm. and with other people and also i think acknowledging that you can learn and gain from everyone and everything at all times rather than only limiting to yourself you're limiting yourself to people who you deem are on that same noble pursuit as you maybe mm. Mm. because once we I mean, we're not there yet but Australia's We've done some good things in letting go of God. Like we've made progress. <laughs> but unfortunately that's been replaced by this... Um, like the next noble thing is to uh, provide for the family unit, the nuclear family unit. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, are, through whatever they do, they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm. In my mind, it seems like it would work even better if what we, the able-bodied, are providing for doesn't have such harsh lines about where it begins and ends. It's not just these people that live in this house that are within one or two generations, but it overlaps to old neighbours and children in a certain area but then I am not the only provider. There are other providers and their bubble of providing overlaps into my mm. zone as well. into your future visions? Of my life? Of your noble pursuit? <laughs> how, mu- how future are we talking? Um, I just am on a mission to just like learn, mm. keep learning keep expanding, keep my brain changing what it thinks it believes in and thinks it knows. 
um, and I'm also uh, open to other forms of this noble pursuit. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, tell me more about that. Like other. Sorry, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let you speak. <laughs> I don't really know, but I um, have a fear of commitment. Lol. No. Um, like, don't want to pigeonhole myself into anything because I am scared that that means I will close myself off from other things and other ideas and thoughts and ways to look at the world and see the world. I see the benefit in closing myself off to things. Do you? Yeah. But also you're older than me. <laughs> Almost a decade. Like maybe that has something to do with it. Like I've tested it, I've yeah. tasted it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there's also things I understand that you can train in. Like I never, being white and growing up with two Anglo-cultured parents, I never, had chili in my life, mm-hmm. but then all the boys that I break dance with, um, and my partner's family, I—I I guess I just understood at some point that I'm not—that it's something you can train: mm-hmm. chili tolerance mm. and. Uh, enjoyment Mm -hmm. not just tolerance (laughs) celebration (laughs) um yeah so i guess it's weird how we choose which things we're not going to be a part of and which things we're going to work to be a part of Mm, totally and i used to think that was just um like the easiest the easiest version is just to float where the current is floating. <coughs> yeah, but then I feel like you also have to pick which current you're going to follow. Ooh. Because there are various, uh, like, currents. Ooh. And then within a larger current, there's, like, manifestations of tiny little currents as well. I reckon. And I reckon uh, you can generate currents. Mm. And perhaps that is, like that happens from industry and that happens from policy and from community and from artistic endeavour. That's my future vision to create a current. For sure. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Got any thoughts about it yet? Or you don't know what it would be and where it would go? Just... Don't know what it would be or where it would go. Just that it... I will be someone who goes down in history (laughs) (laughs) as creating change. Mm. Yeah. There's um, 
this is an artist from Brisbane maybe or Melbourne she lives now called Candy Bowers and she brought up with me once about the cost that you pay for challenging the way that things already are mm-hmm. and that many people make a, a far greater pay a far greater cost to make far smaller changes yeah and then some people are in a position where they can just make sweeping changes at no cost to them or like what does it cost you to question your friends or your family you know? mm, totally ask what is your biggest hope but I wonder if you just answered it yeah that's my answer definitely (laughs) wonderful do you have any um, epiphanies you want to finish on truth bombs truth bombs wisdom Nah. I'm sure I do. <laughs> nah, didn't, but I, I'm going to steal one of yours that you said earlier. Choreography being a force in the world rather than a tool. I stole that as well. Maybe my epiphany is just steal shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think they call that inspiration. (laughs) Who are you inspired by? Oh, well. um... Or what? Or how? I'm inspired by people who are doing exactly what they want to do and whether that be the kind of mainstream way of going about it or not they're just doing them they're just doing what they want to do and I'm very attracted and inspired by that in a person And they're making no apologies for it. You do you. 2017 motto. You do you, babe. Thanks, Eve. Thanks, Matt Cornell.